This is Ari Koretsky and welcome to Jews You Should Know, introducing the broader community to interesting and inspiring Jewish men and women making a difference in our world. Some are already famous, some not yet so, but each is a Jew you should know. And we are back with another fabulous episode of Jews You Should Know. This week, featuring such an interesting person, she actually has some unique connections to my other life, which is my role as a Mi'or rabbi, a campus educator, where she herself had connections as a student at Temple University. But Becky has recently released an incredible film called American Birthright about her odyssey as her sister prepared to marry out of the faith, how she responded to that, and the journey that it propelled her to travel. So really excited to bring her to you today. Meanwhile, a reminder, dailygiving.org. As always, the fabulous charity aggregator bringing together dollars from all over the world for maximum impact to outstanding organizations. Just this morning, I saw one going to Camp Hask, a beautiful camp for children with special needs. And every single day is another incredible organization, many of which I already know about, some of which are new to me and I'm excited to learn about. So really something to look at, dailygiving.org. Take a look at that today. A reminder is always to follow us on social media, Jews You Should Know, spelled out fully on Instagram and Facebook. Jews You Should Know, a letter to you on Twitter. Follow or subscribe wherever you're listening. That's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever platform you are utilizing and listening to right now. Questions or comments to Jews You Should Know at gmail.com. And now to our conversation with American Birthright producer and star, Becky Tahel. With Becky Tahel, I believe you talked to us from Los Angeles, and Becky is the recent producer and star of a documentary called American Birthright, which follows her sister and herself on a remarkable Jewish journey of self-discovery, and excited to learn all about that today, as well as her life more broadly. How are you, Becky? I am great. I can't wait to share. I'm an open book. Ask away. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fantastic. Well, that is, that's what we're going to do. Like it or not, that's what we're going to do. So it's convenient that you like it. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about where you're from. Are you from California originally or what's your background? No, I was born in Israel, born in Haifa. And uh, my parents weren't really into the war that was happening at the time. It was the Antifada. And so, you know, in the early nineties, so we moved to Philadelphia, which is where I was raised from the age of six and a half on schooled there, went to Temple University for communication, and then said, you know what, if I never go out to California now, if I don't do it in now, then I might never. So let's go. And I I booked a one-way flight. My mom was super supportive. And uh, thank God for that, because 14 years later, I'm still here creating, living out my passion and and growing every day. Incredible. So your parents are from Haifa. How long back was kind of the uh, the family roots in, in the Holy Land. So my, my mother was born in Yerushalayim, but her family came from Morocco. They had immigrated uh, with a mass sort of emigration from outside of Casablanca, the small village outside of Casablanca, outside of Marrakesh. It's like everyone has a different story of exactly where we're outside of. And my father's side is from the former USSR. My grandmother's from Romania. My father was born in now currently Ukraine. And he moved to Israel when he was 13. My parents met in the army. So really there was, you know, some touch points in Israel, but we're really from all over North Africa, Eastern Europe, and then also of course, Israel. You're like a, an, an in-gathering of the exiles kind of uh, story. You know, why not? We all sort of understand what it's like. So you may as well gather and try to forge new, stronger identities. And that certainly wasn't easy moving to America and try to sort of like trying to reconcile all of those dueling parts into an American form of some sort of Jewishness. And that certainly plays out in the documentary as well. Sure. Now, obviously, they, as you've noted, they left Israel, even though they had kind of grown up there and had roots. What Was it really just fear of the war? I mean, they, they themselves had been in the army, so they uh, obviously had an awareness of what life was like and, and kind of had been used to that sort of thing. What really drove them from Israel? It's a great question and one that I'm constantly digging for truth around, to be honest. I think it's one of those things where Israelis, many Israelis, let's not let's not put us all in a bucket, but many Israelis want to leave Israel and sort of experience America. It's the cool older sister. It's the land of opportunities. It's a place where you can make money and life seems, quote unquote, easier. 
And so I think that was certainly an appeal for my mom and dad, young, you know, mid twenties had just had my sister and I, and they, they, they wanted something new, something different, something that felt less difficult. And uh, it's funny that that would be like, let's go to a brand new country where it's really difficult to get citizenship. But it, it happened to be that one of my mom's seven siblings was in Philadelphia. So we came for a visit. We liked it. We said, let's try. And my mom's a Jewish educator. So she ended up working for Solomon Schechter Day School in Philadelphia, getting a, a pretty good job there. And it got us our green cards. And so that that difficulty sort of wasn't a difficulty anymore. We were here. The path was, you know, quote unquote paved and we stayed. So and I'm sure there's still more, you know, there's layers to why we left and the difficulties and the troubles of leaving. And I mean, I miss I miss Israel when I'm not there. And I know the power of Israel. We all do. I think it's hard to deny that, uh, but it's certainly a different life in America. That is for sure. What part of Philadelphia were you guys in? In the main line, in the hood. Yeah, my mom, like I said, taught at, at Schechter. So we lived between Penn Valley, Welsh Valley. I would have gone to Laura Marion High School, but my mom at that point had remarried. And so we moved to Westchester, Pennsylvania, which is about an hour away with Buffalo and many more deer and it was a little bit more rural and very interesting. And that's where I went to high school. Early on, were you always interested in the arts and some kind of you know, creative, was it more performance? Was it creating things? What was your early kind of uh, interest in, in that sort of thing? Yeah, I think it was a coping strategy too. I always wanted to create. I was writing, I, I kept diaries from as early as I could write. Um, I was always putting on shows and dances with my cousins. I was very much an, a, a creative, imaginative person. I made up mystical, magical worlds in my bedroom that my sister would come. I would tell her to leave and I would set up the room in what we called bear land. And she would like re-enter and it'd be this whole pop-up theater experience. So always, it was always between performance, writing. In high school, it became like competitive singing and all of these sort of elements of performance and that certainly helped me to find my voice and find myself and spur me to leave to LA because that's sort of like the, the nexus of all of those things. When you describe it as a coping mechanism, do you mean particularly in terms of the transition to leaving Israel and, and being in America or do you mean it more generally than that? I think there's certainly a part of the assimilation into the American society and also my parents divorced when I was nine and there was difficulty there for me. And I think reconciling that and how you know, how families can be together and then not together and the changes that happen with not only being nine and then going into my teenage years, but just the changes that are a part of human life. My mom was always very spiritual, though we weren't raised religious. There was no sort of like the nuts and bolts of daily practice. My mom always, always, always talked about God of Hashem and that Hashem was always there. And I had a deep sense of some sort of entity bigger than myself, but to connect to that was difficult. Like I didn't know how to really connect to that. And for me, creativity and trying to listen to deeper creative impulses, I guess, was what manifest. And so you majored in these topics when you got to Temple? Correct. So communication and I had a theater minor was sort of like, I don't know exactly what I want to do in the creative field, but let me try a little bit of everything. So there was like broadcast journalism and creative writing, and there was a bit of film. Um, And then of course there was theater, which was like live theater performance and all of that. And at one point I was cast in in a film and it was very different from my theater days. In theater, you start at the beginning of the play and you end at the end of the play. In film, we started on page four and I was like, excuse me, what is that? How do you do that? How can you just start in the middle of the whole thing? I was really fascinated with this sort of like ability to control this medium in such a different way. And it added a whole element of, of like creativity and and power. And I was really intrigued. So of course I started poking around. I was like, how can I be in more film? And, you know, long story short, when I ended up in LA, I was mentored by some producers and writers and learned so much more about the film medium, which, you know, I sort of like left theater behind. I haven't done anything live in a very, very long time. Um, I think there's a power to that. But my new love became this very controlled, what I thought could be controlled medium of film, film and TV. Did Temple have a strong program for that? 
Yeah, they, they did, but I never thought to do it. I felt like those were the people who knew how to work cameras. They were super tech savvy. And that wasn't me. I was like, I knew how to write, but I, I, working with my hands and like turning a camera on and understanding the different lenses, like that felt too mathematical, too technical, not me. But I learned that there are many roles in film and TV and in, in the production world that you don't have to be the cinematographer or the gaffer or the sound mixer, that you could be the writer producer. And you're, yes, you're using more of that creative skill set. And you hire people who know how to do all of those things like lenses and cameras. Um, and that, that became my trajectory. Now, throughout this uh, whole you know, first part of your life, you mentioned your mother had kind of that spiritual. I guess, uh, sort of traditional Sephardic kind of, you know, upbringing and mentality where, mm. and I, you know, having watched the documentary, you know, sort of see her fairly recognizable attitude towards, you know, the finer points of religion as contrasted with sort of like the big picture kind of issues. So was that sort of the dominant feeling in your home? Was it really kind of almost dismissive of you know, religion in more organized and concrete sense with a little bit of a, or more of a focus or any focus at all on kind of the big themes or you know, just belief in God. As a Jewish educator, my mom, you know, she taught in a conservative school. So there was certainly like the bigger themes. I, you know, when every holiday came around, like we talk about what the holiday was and why we were celebrating the holiday. It was very intellectual. And the experiential pieces were sort of like they were, and, and we were children too. So like, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to give my mom the benefit of the doubt, like how much more could we have done? But um, now that I know on the other side of things that there is so much more nuance and detail and depth that I never tapped into because my mom just sort of wasn't, that wasn't her thing. That wasn't her cup of tea. We wanted to keep it really general. And I, I respect my mom in our differences, but yeah, it was very general. And, you know, I knew I was Jewish. We went to overnight camp in upstate New York, very Zionistic. We'd go back to Israel to visit. I had a deep sense of Jewish identity. And so like, I knew that was a part of who I was. I was the president of my BBYO chapter. I wanted to be active. I, Judaism became sort of like identity and leadership and meaning in terms of this sort of, again, identity bucket that I fit into in a group of people that I felt a kindred spiritness with. But beyond that, Judaism didn't bring meaning into my everyday life. I didn't know how it could, aside from, again, this very wonderful but vague idea that there's a creator that loves me that's always there for me. But like, how do I connect to him? Well, you know, just talk to him or you'll figure it out or you'll get there later. And I sort of just put that as a like, I'll figure that out when I'm older. At Temple, were you involved at all in the Jewish community? I was a bit, I kept pretty busy with, again, the things that I thought would give me fulfillment, which is getting good grades and finishing school and meeting people. And so I was, I was active at the Hillel and I would go to the occasional Shabbat meals. And it was the Me'or trip that I took with Rabbi Kay at the time. And I'm now back in touch with him and his wife, which is just so fun. Um, that was really a big turning point for me. And at that point, my sister was already dating Justin. They had met when we were in college. She was 19 when she met him. And I was like, my sister's dating a non-Jew. I don't really know why I feel so bad about this, but let me take her along with me to this Israel trip. Like maybe that'll help us both to understand the importance of marrying Jewish or not. I, I wasn't sure what I was grasping for, but that trip was very, very powerful. I remember reading Permission to Receive by Rabbi Kellerman, and it was like, whoa, there's depth here. There's like a lot here. There's more than we grew up with. What's the age difference between you and your sister? I'm two and a half years older, but in grade, so I was a senior, she was a freshman. So it was like my last hurrah before leaving into the real world. I was like, let's go on this Israel trip. And it was- so she also came to Temple. She also went to Temple. That's right. That's right. We went to the same school. She, she went for medicine, very clear cut path was like, I'm going, I'm going to be a doctor. And I was like, I'm going to be a creative. I have no idea. what. <laughs> we did both go to the same and school. And it's just the two of you. That's right. Just two of us. Were you close growing up? We were very close. We're very different. And you see that we're very, very different types of people, but we were very close. We were very close. We were raised again with similar values and principles. So it was easy to talk and connect and communicate and know that we are loved and know that we come from love, but that we manifest our, our purposes differently. How old were you when you took this trip to Israel? 
So how old are you when you're a senior? 20? So this was in your senior year and she was yeah. already dating? She was already dating. As a freshman. Yeah, as a freshman. She had met him early on. And it was very serious right away? I don't think it was very serious right away. It wasn't sort of like, we're going to get married right away because he was 10 years older than her and he was a, a musician in California. He was a touring artist. So she was 18 and he was 28. Yeah. Wow. Which was a whole other story, right? A part of me was like, forget the Jewish thing. My sister is a very mature soul. So to her, she immediately identified things about him that fit her value set. And they really did. And was like, this is potentially the guy for me, but I'm going to finish school and he's touring. We're going to figure it out. And it's going to be long distance. And I was like, oh, we have nothing to worry about. Long distance, 10 year age gap, like forget about it. Let's just let her explore and be happy. And it's my little sister, you know, like let her date and hopefully have the experience so that she can come out the other side and know what she really wants. And she did do that. She came out the other side knowing what she really wanted. And it happened to be this non-Jewish person, again, being the first interfaith of this capacity, interfaith relationship in our family. And it was a lot for us in the beginning. It was was very tricky to navigate because on one hand, you want your sister, whoever you love to be happy. In the other sense, again, as a non-observant Jew at the time, things are bumping you and you're worried and you're concerned about all the technicalities. What happens when there's kids, but have you thought about holidays? Does he even know who you are at the core soul level? Like, does he want to become Jewish? Does, is he going to celebrate holidays? How are holidays going to We had a lot of questions for her? <laughs> Absolutely. So what, tell me about the trip itself. The, the experience of this uh, mayor trip, which of course I'm, I'm familiar with quite intimately myself, but what was your experience like there in terms of your own? And then also being there with your sister. Look, we went to Neve for a day, and I remember sitting in the classroom, Rabbi Marcus was talking to us about some Kabbalistic something that was like beyond our, it was like above our comprehension, and it was so cool, and we're all jet-lagged and exhausted, but there was something there, and I remember my sister and I, like, whether or not we understood it, because I think there was a, a piece of, again, the perfect storm of being over-traveled and being overstimulated and being still so young and fresh and forming exactly what we believe. But the depth, sort of looking at all of these really rich wisdom teachers telling us these things, it was like, there's got to be something here. And I think both her and I were like, wow, there's so much more here. And that's what we got from the trip. There are many other things that we got, friendships that lasted forever. We still speak to many people who were on that trip with us. We ended up coming back for a jewel trip with Rebbitz and Cowland because of that Mewar experience. We were like, okay, we want more. This was really cool. So it was inspiring. It wet our palate. We got a real experiential, spiritual experience of Judaism that we hadn't gotten at home. And that was really important because intellectually, again, we knew a bunch of these things, these holidays, we are Jewish, who we are, God loves us. But like, I needed to feel that. And I think that is to the day, like a missing link in a lot of Jewish education is that sort of like richer, deeper experience of Judaism where you're like, whoa, I just felt that. Did you feel that? Did, ever, did anybody else just feel that? Because that was really nice. I'd like to feel more of that. How do I feel more of that? So we both had that. And look, and then you come back, you come back and you know that you felt something and most likely you don't feel it again for a while until you seek out another Jewish experience that's got that sort of learning depth capacity. And we both, again, we went on that jewel trip. But for me, that was a spark. And I think we both, we both had tasted something and we wanted more of it. I just happened to, you know, dive a little bit deeper into the deep end uh, and bring some cameras along and, and really try to chase that feeling so that I can have that experience uh, daily, a little bit more deeply in my life. So it sounds like your sister also really appreciated the wisdom yes. that she was learning, yeah. just didn't carry it forth in a more practical way that you ended up taking it. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and like, do I have an answer for why or what? I remember my sister at one point saying, you've just always been more religious. And I was like, what? I'm not religious. Like, what do you, what do you mean? Because again, growing up, we had religious family and my mom was sort of like, that's them. They, they decided to be religious. That's not us. And look at what the representation we have of religious people is in the media. Like, it's not this glamorous, wonderful, awesome thing. It's pretty niche and it seems a little oppressive. And 
So I didn't think of myself as religious. I didn't think of myself as somebody who was even inclined to become religious at all. I just, I wanted a deeper experience of life. And I thought my sister did too. And I didn't know why for her, like exploring Judaism deeper meant, oh, you're religious. And that resistance is interesting to me because I now being totally okay saying, yes, I'm religious in whatever that means to somebody else. Like religious just means I have a connection to God. That's really the root of that word. Rabbi David Aaron talks about it lovingly. It's just like, it's the Latin of religious is to reconnect to God. And so, yeah, sure. It's not a really cool, you know, category to check off today, but I think it's becoming cooler as we all seek deeper truth and depth. Um, But for my sister, there were other things that took up her bandwidth. And yeah, we sort of took different paths. So where did you guys each go after, you know, you were graduating college as she was progressing through college and eventually she graduated. You went out to LA. Tell me about your, your journey over there and then sort of concurrently what was happening with her. Yeah, as I went out to LA in the mess of your 20s, of one's 20s, but my 20s were certainly messy. I had no idea what I was doing in LA. You know, I, I tried my best to plug into community, but at like college, things get busy and you go to Shabbat once in a while and you're just, I'm just trying to find out who I am and what means anything to me. And so I bumped around a whole lot. In the meantime, my sister went to, took a year off and then went to medical school in the Caribbean. So we, we actually do visit her in the documentary in Grenada, but she was in medical school at that time was already seriously dating Justin. So she had graduated college. She had come to California for a year to live with him and to see that their relationship was solid. And then they went to Grenada. So, you know, at that time I'm trying to figure my life out. I'm not one to tell her, well, this is a clear cut path to success because I had nothing to show for that myself. But in LA, I really was blessed to have incredible mentors. I worked for wonderful actors. I was given opportunities to produce really mindful content. And in the mindfulness scene that is very predominant in LA, I sort of dabbled in everything. I did, you know, your Buddhist meditation and I learned about the Hindu traditions and Teaism and Taoism. And I had a class on some of that stuff as well in college. And spirituality again came back up. It was like, I had that experience in Israel. I tasted it. All these other wisdom traditions also talk about it and have methodologies. Well, what's the deal with Judaism? Like, why are you, what's, what does Judaism have to say? And that's when I started to dig deeper and really tap into the dynamic LA Jewish community. And at the same time was when my sister got engaged to Justin. And that was towards the end of medical school. She was about to get into residency. And I figured I'm definitely interested in becoming more connected to my Jewish practice. Don't know what that is. I'm probably not the only Jew. And my sister's just gotten engaged to Anandra. I'm probably not the only Jew who's having that experience simultaneously. What an interesting project. And at that point in my career, I'd been making a lot of stuff for other people. And I, th- I thought to myself, why not make something about my journey? Like, why not turn the cameras around and document my trip to my sister's wedding, trying to reconcile this sort of loyalty to family and culture while also marrying whoever you love. Like, what, what is that? Are there other loyalties to which love must bow? You know, like, are there deeper repercussions and bigger repercussions to our decision of who to marry? At this point, were you yourself observant in terms of your own lifestyle? I wouldn't call myself observant, but I was certainly growing. I had told my boss, Eric Andre, who's a comedian, Jewish comedian at the time, I'm not working on Shabbat. My phone was on, but I told him Shabbat is my day off. Like that was a big thing for me. I'd learned about Shabbat. I learned about the implications of the day. And I remember my mom saying a couple of years before I'd gotten an offer to do a voiceover on Yom Kippur. And I called her and I said, I know, but it's my livelihood. Like, can I just do it? And this again, coming from my non-religious moms, she said, what do you stand for? Like if you, if you just work on any day, who are you? And that coming from her was really validating because I had already, again, was growing and trying to reconcile this very countercultural experience that is just being Jewish, Jewish holidays, Jewish Sabbath. Like they don't fall in accordance with much of anything in America that allows you to like live and work a normal life. And so when she said that, I, I thought to myself, she's right. I got to stand for something. I got to have boundaries somewhere. And that really was where I was. I was growing. 
I started keeping holidays. I started slowly, you know, integrating kashrut into my life and trying to figure out like what, what the deal was around what I was eating and consuming. So I was growing, but really it took going to Israel on the trip that we see in the documentary for me to cement these decisions for myself, not for my sister, not for my mom, not for a boyfriend, not for who I thought I should be, not for a rabbi, for me. And that took some time to get to. Absolutely. As it should. Right. Right. Tell me a little bit about the process of making this documentary, because first of all, you could run the risk of being a, uh, I want to say voyeuristic, but kind of exposing your family. And I'm sure you have to get their consent and their buy-in and so forth. Um, but it's, it's very personal. It's very revealing. It's also stepping into a very sort of taboo topic nowadays, right? Where, you, as you alluded to earlier, love is almost like a trump card <laughs> over any other values in, in our current Western ideal. So you're really putting yourself out there again in a way that would allow you to be judged. Certainly, I would imagine in the filmmaking world and the Hollywood scene, you know, here you are, this evolving religious young woman making a documentary that's kind of, you know, judgmental about people's life choices, not a popular thing to be doing. Yeah. Tell me about that whole process. Not at all. And, and I didn't know any of that. I very naively in the beginning was like, let me just make this. And I think oftentimes that's sort of like the initial uh, creative impulse. And uh, I talk about Elizabeth Gilbert, an author who talks about this idea of big magic, where ideas sort of float in potential state, looking for host bodies. And I feel like American Birth, this idea of like an intermarriage documentary that turns into this soul trek to truth. Like, let's find some crazy young Jewish girl to take this on. And it found me and I just was like, sure. So I will be very honest that I did not know what, what I was getting into in the beginning, but, but I did know that I wanted to do it honestly. And I didn't want to, it, it wasn't going to be some Bravo show and it wasn't going to be some reality TV, you know, sort of expose. So when I called my family and asked them for permission and told them about my intention here, they got it. And my sister, who is much more private, was like, let me get back to you because I'm not really sure if this is, let, let me, let me get back to you. And I was like, for sure. At that point, I'd lost her. I was like, yeah, she's going to call me back and she's going to say, you know what? We don't really want to be a part of this. It just feels really personal. It's, it's about it's our relationship, like, sorry. But instead she called me back and said, Justin and I discussed this and we really feel like this is a big part of why we are together is to be able to have this conversation with you and hold space for this kind of conversation with you about intermarriage. Let's do it. And it was like chills, like, wow, what a beautiful green light. Okay, let's go. And it was very important to me throughout the, the journey that I really be honest about my process, about what I'm thinking, about my judgments and hesitations and fears. And yeah, I mean, for sure, like you, you see stuff on, on camera that's like me confronting my sister, me putting her with a, an interfaith mediator to ask questions about her relationship, like for anybody else. And my sister is really a pretty big person and a rich soul to be able to contain all that. She understood. She understood why I was asking her. She knew it was coming from love. And even in my judgmental times, she knew that was coming from fear. That was an extension of love. You know, it all was good. And I'm so glad that it manifests in that way. Cause I think the documentary does end up in my hopes, modeling the sort of conversation we could all have with family members, despite our differences. When someone does something that we don't necessarily agree with that we are able to say, listen, this is bumping me. Have you thought about A, B, C, and D? And even when they make a decision that doesn't necessarily align with what we wanted in our ideal scenario of them, that we look inward. And I'm glad I turned inward because what was bumping me about her, I realized was bumping me about myself. I hadn't made the decisions in my life. I hadn't concretized what I wanted my path to be. And that was the problem. And so that was, you know, the process took a long time because my life took a long time. You know, it took me a couple of years to get to the point where I realized this movie is not about my sister at all. It was sparked by my sister in screenwriting terms. The inciting incident was my sister's engagement to an Anju, but that wasn't what the film was about. And where it took me was ultimately, I think the, the greatest gift of the entire journey and the greatest gift of if there is a master plan and Hashem was directing this the entire time, then really I came out the other side with exactly what I needed based on all of these events. 
And maybe also I became the person my sister needed in her life to always be there. Also, you know, now that she's married and raising a family, there are things that come up. And because I now have Jewish knowledge that I didn't have before, because of this wonderful process, I'm able to weigh in and I'm able to say things in ways that I was never able to before. And it's really changed her life as well. Thank God. So I think doc, and I say this, the mystical magical process of making a documentary is really just self-development, like disguised by the art of making a documentary. You're not actually making a movie you're making yourself. And by the end, you get this nice little movie that maybe also inspires others. How did it get funded? Like what was the actual nuts and bolts of the process? Oh, it was tough. And I, again, had no idea what I was doing. I crowdfunded. I used a lot of my own money. So when like my money and favors dried up, so would production and we would have to wait until money resurfaced or I would do another raise or, you know, I would get clarity. Cause again, this isn't a film where there's a script and we know where we're going. A lot of it was me figuring myself out in the next logical step in the journey that we wanted to show. So it took, you know, six years and it needed to, but the money came and went. And we had some people who, once I had shot enough said, Oh, and this is amazing. I had someone that came in and gave us a, a bigger chunk of money and And I also resisted going to bigger organizations because I didn't, I had a feeling like if this were tied to an organization that then maybe on the other side, the audience would say, oh, it's that sort of movie. Oh, it's that sort of movie. So I struggled with keeping it independent and having less money so that it could be a more sort of organic, authentic telling as opposed to being tied to an organization. Tell me a little bit about your actual development. It's interesting the way you describe it, that it's almost sounds like if your sister wasn't intermarrying, do you think you yourself would be religious today? It's a fascinating, you know, hypothetical. Right. Yeah. But this kind of like forced you to, to find answers. So tell me a little bit about what you actually did. I know you went to Israel, but what did you actually do and what was most decisive or determinative for you in that process? So it's, of course, it's always really hard to say, like, if this documentary journey had never happened, would I be where I am? And and like a part of me says yes, because I was always really spiritually inclined and I was already seeking, but at the same pace and in the same sort of trajectory, likely not. When my sister got engaged, it forced me to get on a a fast track And, and six years was my fast track because I, one, felt this responsibility to a figurative audience that would maybe one day exist to watch this movie. So I felt like, okay, well, I got to get my stuff together and figure it out because one time's taking two, I'm making a movie now, which is a really nice sort of extra responsibility to take on. Uh, For me, that really helped me. The camera and the project helped me to deepen my study of Torah and to concretize again and to make these like commitments and decisions. But I think it would have happened anyway, just differently. And it would have looked differently. But in my journey, there were many like micro moments that led to my decisions. And I remember subtle decisions. I remember big ones. There's one that happens towards the end of the film where I sort of get tasked with, you know, when you have an epiphany, you have to make a commitment to really cement that epiphany. And I really resonated with that idea that, yes, we can have these big experiences, kind of like the one I had on the mower trip, right? Like, Wow. How great is that? That ends up just living there in a wow state, unless you make a commitment, unless you bring it into your life, unless you integrate it into your daily life. And that was what was missing. I would have awesome experiences and have really cool intellectual ahas, but they'd be so fleeting. And I realized that in my study while in Jerusalem and Jerusalem also has this way of being a pressure cooker, (laughs) like in LA, you can sort of float around and not be tasked or feel the pressure of needing to get your life together. But Jerusalem, and maybe it's just me, but I've heard it's not just me, is like, whoa, it is so intense. And so in four or five months of study, filming, and traveling around to holy sites, to where I was born, to seeing family, to my family's grave sites, right? Like all of that. It was what I believe might've taken me four years to do in LA. I had to go to Israel to do it. I really had to. And all of those micro moments eventually piled up where I said, no, no, 
I get it. Like I get it. I get what I need to do. I'm not one to say this is what every single person should do. That's not my brand. That's not my lens, but I'll tell you what I need to do. And I'm no longer afraid of being an example of what I did. And I'm asked this in the film, like, are you willing to put the results of your journey in the movie? And at first I resisted that. I said, well, if I say I decide that for me, Torah observance is important and how I want to live my life, then other people are going to look at me and say, ew, like if that's what she's doing, then I, I'm writing her off. I don't, I, you know, because it's not what I'm doing. And I realized that the more specific I could be to my journey and the more I could own it and the more I could make a big, bold decision unabashedly, the stronger I would be as a protagonist and the stronger of an inspiration in whatever direction people choose. And I found that to be true, that the more I was able to sort of own my own truth and step into that and show that and live it, the more other people are just inspired to start asking their own questions. Doesn't mean everyone's going to be following the same path. And, and I don't think we're meant to, but I think to be bold and living truth is really the most inspiring thing you can be right now, especially in today's age. Like this is just the most confused I think the world has ever been. And we're looking for people who are aligned with truth, who are living a life that feels really aligned to them and is rich and vibrant and meaningful. And even if it looks different, I think nowadays we're way more, and I'm seeing that in the younger generations, you know, that I'm a millennial, but like Gen Z and younger are like just gravitating to strong opinions. And the tricky part is, are those strong opinions founded in truth? And I think that's where we as Jews need to step up our game in the media and need to make more truthful content that is really representative of what we really believe without having fear or anxiety around it. We got to state it boldly. What has been the response from others? I know the film has not been officially released yet, right? It's kind of like going through the pre-release, things like that. Right. It's so, so it's in the film festivals and we just recently put it up for rental on our website, which is like very, very recent and very exciting to be able to do that. And the response has been overwhelmingly positive. Like, I feel like it's the flash of light I needed. And I'm, I'm sure there are people who also hated it and had moments they completely despised, but the messages we get on a consistent basis is just like from, again, everyone, from Jews and non-Jews, from non-religious, non-observant Jews to observant Jews is, I really needed that. Like, I really needed to see this journey. I, I, it reminded me of myself. It reminded me of what the kind of journey I do want to go on. I've had friends who have watched it several times and have decided to go and sort of mimic their own journey and go study in Jerusalem and create their own to-do list, which is a fun little gimmick device that happens in the, in the film where I create my own curriculum. And that's really exciting. It's really, really moving to see other Jews and other just humans, right? Other individuals, audience members be inspired to dig deeper and ask questions. And that's been happening a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Have you gotten any pushback? People saying, oh, this is ethnocentric. This is outmoded. This is, you know, regressive. Those kinds of responses. No, I, I ha had like one bad Facebook comment and on, it was on the trailer. And I think it, it, I say in the trailer, like I need to treat myself like I'm converting and the comment again, I mean, there's comments are very easy to make without having seen the film. And I appreciate it was like, convert. What does that even mean? And it, it like took offense to something and they hadn't even seen the film. So to me, the only pushback I'm getting is the silly sort of Facebook trolling that happens. There was one comment about, oh, this feels like an H piece because we had a couple H people on there. And I was like, oh, that's really funny. I'll take that as a compliment. Absolutely not. But, you know, I get that. Like the journey is niche and it is specific. And I did that on purpose because I that's the path I chose. And um, I think it's an important part. But for people who really watch the film and engage with it, like even those commenters, though eventually they watched it, were like, OK, this was certainly deeper and different than what I thought. And that's great. I think you have to engage with the film to really understand it. But most people, like 99% of, of the responses and the feedback is like, wow, finally, a film like this that's shedding a positive light on the Chuva journey, on the Jewish education journey, on Torah, on observant Jews, and showing the dynamic range that is the observant community, not just this tiny little sliver, which doesn't feel holistic or balanced or really ethical. We have to show the whole. 
I guess that commenter was referencing the fact that maybe the movie could feel propagandistic to them. Were you conscious of that? Oh, absolutely. The entire time in editing, I was like, this cannot feel like Bible camp. Like the last thing I want to do is be preachy and say like, I had a non-Jewish editor. My, my production partner, Aaron, who you see in the film is not Jewish at all. And in fact, it's sort of agnostic was like, even through the journey of coming to Israel to film with me and everything. And me, she didn't even know if she even really believed in God. And, and the back and forth conversations were awesome. And I would constantly ask her, like, does this feel to this? Does this feel to that? And we had a, a really tough time finalizing the film. And we made probably, again, like I say, like 10 different versions of the movie before this final one. We wanted it to be authentic and really represent me and also not feel preachy or dogmatic in any way or didactic in that way. And I, again, when people watch the entire thing and engage with it, they come out the other side saying like, that was your journey. And it was very specific to you. And I don't feel pressure to do anything, but I am inspired to explore. And that's, I think that's the win. What was the response, not on the Hollywood side or not on the filmmaking side, but on the Jerusalem side? How did people react as you were there? Because you're kind of conducting almost like a sociological experiment in their midst, you know, and potentially at their expense if it doesn't go well. I mean, they don't know how this is going to turn out. So what was that like for them to let you in and allow themselves to be exposed and recorded and and things like that? Was that difficult? And how did they react? For the most part, I had it. People are very open and receptive. And I think it was because of, again, my explanation of how I was going about this. It's sort of like, you know, the first question I would be asked was, what's your thesis? What's the statement you're making? And it was like, I don't really have one. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I'm in a journey. I actually don't know how I feel about interfaith marriage fully. And I'm here now to study Torah because I don't know how I feel about Torah. <laughs> and I feel like that's going to determine how I feel about interfaith marriage. And they were like, oh my God, you're actually really on this journey. That's really interesting. Okay. Well, let's engage. Let's engage. And when they, you know, when they heard that I was studying at specific places and I'd already filmed with specific people, it's sort of like you start feeling a little bit more confident and comfortable. Oh, that rabbi did it. Okay. I'll do that. And I think every rabbi ultimately is going to speak to truth in a way that you know, reflects what they're comfortable with. And the hope is always that in the post-production process, they're not made to look differently than how the interview goes. And that's always a terrifying piece about film. And I made sure to keep in close contact with everyone in the film, to share with them, to let them know. I didn't want anyone to come back later and say, oh, that was so twisted. My words were twisted. That's including my own family. So when my family watched the movie, when my sister and, and Justin and my mom and everyone watched it, There were moments that were tough to watch because they were real, but all of that is true and all of that is honest and we can stand behind that. And that's all I wanted to, it's just something honest and true that I could stand behind no matter what the pushback is. There are some rabbis that you meet that not everyone loves so much, you know, there's a couple people early on where it's like, that's not who we are. But to me, I wanted to show my sitting down with rabbis who weren't my rabbis, rabbis who I didn't necessarily jive with, who maybe said some harsh things. And to show a girl who continued past a rabbi that bumped her, because I've had people in my family who met one rabbi, that rabbi bumped them. And they said, that's all rabbis. And that's all of Judaism and goodbye. And that wasn't my journey because I knew that I had to keep going. And I knew that everyone had a different voice and I just needed to find my rabbis and my rabbitsons and the teachers that would speak to the experience I wanted to have of Judaism and the truth that I knew was there. What's your relationship like with your sister today? post-production? We're we're very, very close. And she's very, very, you know, again, it's the same relationship before, but now I'm a little bit different. She's also very different, but she's a a bit more of who she was at the beginning of the film. I look different. I have different practices. I have different beliefs and I have a different life. And she respects that. And I think there's, there's a beauty now, like they like to come over for Shabbat and they're coming over in a couple of weeks and staying over. And, you know, when it comes to holidays, it's always like, I try to support her. If she's able to come to us, that's great. If not, so there's, there's definitely an openness and a receptivity and an understanding of who I am and where I am. And you never know, like, to me, it's like, you never know where someone is exactly. I don't know where I am. I have no idea where I am, but to continue to share and honestly, and to hold space for her and to know that deep down we're Jewish souls and we're sisters in this lifetime together. And we're going to continue to be that that love 
And also the truth that when she had a son, I called her and I said, listen, we got to talk about a bris with no apologies. I'm glad that we're able to have that. I'm glad. And I wish that for every sibling. Do you think your orientation towards this would have been different if she had been male? The theoretical he would be marrying a non-Jewish woman, in which case the children by traditional religious halachic, you know, Jewish legal standards would not be considered Jewish. You know, do you think that would have changed your perspective or your approach? I was asked that once at a, like a, a screening and, you know, I thought about it and it was like, yeah, like, of course that would, ch- that would change so many things about how, why I felt the way I felt in many ways. When, when I told people I was bumped by my sister's decision, people said, why her children are still going to be Jewish. And I was like, but it's more than that. It's even more than that. Right. So like, yes and no, I probably would have been equally bumped in a different way. And there would have been a different narrative around it. And I'm sure my mom would have had a different narrative around it to my figurative brother and all of that. But I don't think I would have changed. I think it would would still be about holding space. It would still be about, well, listen, you still have a Jewish person there. You never know. You never know what happens down the line with their partner. You never know where a person's spiritual journey is headed. You never know where their soul is. We just don't know. And I, and this is a, a, a Reb Shlomo Katz quote, but he said, you no one ever changed because they were judged. So to me, I would still want to be the same person. I would still want to engage with my sibling, male or female in the same way, because we don't know. We have to hold that space for each other on this crazy journey of life, especially when it comes to our spiritual journeys. What advice do you have for people who are in a similar position? They may have a family member uh, who's interdating or intermarried or marrying, whatever the case might be. I mean, not everyone's going to do something so dramatic as, you know, make a film about it and necessarily <laughs> travel across the world. And, and yet, you know, people are conflicted. They want to have a relationship, but they don't want to demonstrate, you know, approval, tacit or explicit. What advice do you give to people? So first of all, I'll always say that I'm so not an expert. I'm an expert at being a non-expert. I don't feel worthy or qualified to give advice. But when a friend recently called about her brother marrying a non-Jew, I said, okay, first of all, like how lovely that this is happening for you. There is a, there's something for you here. So I would always say like, whatever's happening in your life, what is it also there to show you about you? But let's put that aside for a second, right? Let's forget the personal journey, because that's also a big one and an important one is question asking. You know, I I immediately wanted to learn about the sibling. So I think it's knowing the person, your son, your brother, your friend, your sister, whoever it is, and understanding them. Like, where do they come from? What are their life values? What are their philosophies? Where are they currently holding? Where are they in their life? Like what's important to them? And so when she said to me, well, my brother is a successful guy. He really cares about family. He has deep family values, just doesn't see it as a Jewish thing. Then you got to really start thinking down the line. I think the biggest thing that happens, and this is really well laid out in a very intellectual way in a rabbi Doron Kornbluth's book about why marry Jewish of, we make so many of our decisions about who to marry during a time in our life where we're not really thinking deeply about our spiritual path, about children, you know, I think even me, I decided to marry an observant man who aligned with all my values, but did I really know that he'd be a great father? Like, did I think about those things? Did I ask him about parenting, like his parenting MO? And I'm so glad that he ended up being this amazing father because it's so hard to parent alone. And so even that it's like, has he asked this potential partner, all of the questions, have they really thought about what it means to raise a family together? Have they thought down the line, have they connected to their 50, 60, 70 year old self and thought, where am I going to be spiritually? And what happens if my partner is like really devout in their other religion and they're teaching that to my child? How will that feel? Do I want my children to be Jewish? Do do I want my grandchildren to be Jewish? What is the repercussion of that? And ultimately the deep question, which is what we pose in the film is why be Jewish at all? So why be Jewish? And if you can answer that, and if whoever it is that's in this relationship with a non-Jewish partner can answer why be Jewish and why is that important, just to sit with that and be open, because now is the time to answer those questions. They will absolutely impact the trajectory of not just your life, but of your progeny, which is a big deal. It's a really big deal. And it's not stuff we're thinking about in our 20s when we're dating. It's just not 
it's not cool, but we need to start thinking about that stuff because as Jews, we're small and we make a huge impact and we affect each other. And the decisions we make now really affect our future. So we have to just be a little bit more conscious in asking ourselves the bigger questions. So I don't know if that's like the greatest advice, but I would just say, ask that person questions and just really make sure that they're connecting with themselves and the deep answers. Becky, where could people learn more about the film online? Where could they see it or when can they see it? Tell us a little bit about that whole situation. Absolutely. So AmericanBirthrightFilm.com is our official website. You can see all of our upcoming screenings, all of our press links. We have, we are just in the Jerusalem Post and Queller, really cool stuff. And there is a rental page that is now up and live and you are welcome to rent it. So it's uh, AmericanBirthrightFilm.com forward slash rent, or you can just go to the main page and click rent. Hopefully we'll include that somewhere. And um, I would love for you to rent it. And Every dollar goes to supporting our efforts to get this film out there. I do a lot of speaking events and workshops and educational talks to all ages, but our goal now is really to get this out there. It is no small feat to market a film and to really reach it into the larger Jewish world globally. So we're doing a, you know, a Hillel or Chabad on campus kind of tour and hoping to just reach every JCC and Jewish community that we can to create these meaningful experiential screening opportunities where we get together, talk about this stuff, carve out Jewish identity, ask the deeper questions and really understand why be Jewish. Cause I think we need that today more than ever. So yes, people can rent. And I'm also available. My email's there. I'm available on social media. I'm always here. I always want to hear feedback. And I'm again, so honored to be on Jews You Should Know, the podcast, because it helps me to continue to, to grow and get, you know, sort of our mission out there and to create bigger and more impactful Jewish media in the world. Becky Tahel, the producer and star of American Birthright. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, truly. This has been Ari Koretsky on Jews You Should Know. Please visit us at JewsYouShouldKnow.com and subscribe at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you consume podcasts. Find us on social media at Jews You Should Know. If you'd like to become a supporter of this podcast, we would greatly appreciate that. And you can do so by visiting Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Jews You Should Know. Finally, If you have enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review so that we can continue to grow and introduce many more people to Jews you should know.